Hey, Uncommon Leaders, welcome back. This is the Uncommon Leader Podcast, and I'm your host, John Gallagher. Today, I'm excited to have Mark Jewell as my guest. Mark is the CEO of Thrive Today, a prominent leader in the field of high-quality life coaching for the corporate world. He and his team have guided thousands of clients on the journey from merely surviving to truly thriving. Mark is also a dedicated family man with three children of his own and three more stepchildren. In this episode, Mark will be sharing his insights on how companies can measure the right things through the development of three buckets of leading and lagging indicators. He'll also be sharing some personal experiences from his youth that are sure to leave you both smiling and maybe even shedding a tear. So whether you're a seasoned leader or just getting started out, you won't want to miss this episode. Let's get started. Mark Jewell, welcome to the Uncommon Leader Podcast, my friend. How are you doing today? John, it is good to be here. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be on, excited for this conversation today. I think it's going to be really cool. And I know we've done some pre-talk and, and met just a couple months ago, uh, mm-hmm. but I am excited about the conversation. I know the listeners of the podcast are going to get a lot out of it. But yeah. since you're a first-time guest, I'll give you the first-time initiation as well. And I'm going to ask you the same question I always ask those others. Tell me a story from your childhood or early on that still defines kind of who you are as a leader or a person today. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I love stories. So I was looking forward to this question <laughs> All right, <laughs> and it's a, it's a toss up. I've got a couple actually, John, that I could throw you. Both are super impactful. Both have had a massive impact on who I've become, who I am, how I Good. operate. Give me two. Give us two. Yeah. So let's, let's go with one with the, the one with a little bit more levity first. Right. So yeah, I grew up in Minnesota, central Minnesota, about, I don't know, four hours or so South of the Canadian border. Uh, suffice to say, it's cold there most of the year. Really beautiful summers, but come September, you know, it can freeze literally any day, and it stays pretty cold all the way till about the the first of May the following year. So, when you're a kid growing up in Minnesota, you always look forward to getting a new coat every winter, right? Especially as you're growing, you don't fit into the same one that you had from last year. I Maybe mean, it got dirty or ripped or whatever, but you know, that was at least for me, that was a thing I looked forward to as a big deal. And you're always, you know, judging yourself against your friends, comparing, you know, who's got the best coat. Right. And, you know, some of the, some of the kids from maybe the more well-to-do families had starter coats and more colorful coats, you know, and those of us that grew up the, the, the poor farm kids from out in the country, you know, you kind of, you took what you could get. And that had a lot to do with my mentality, you know, growing up was like, you didn't always know if you were going to get or when you were going to get. And so when you could get, you got. And so I remember one day my mom and I went into this little old hardware store slash trinket store slash clothing store in our main street in the little town of Long Prairie, Minnesota, where I grew up uh, called Coast to Coast. And this was a franchise that used to be around in the Midwest back in the day and no longer there as far as I know. But we went in and I went right to the coat rack. Uh, and we weren't even there specifically to get coats. We were there for something else, but I was there with my mom. Dad wasn't around. <clears throat> he was always the stickler and started looking at the coats. And I was kind of picking through them, nothing that really like lit me up, you know, or, you know, made me really, really want that coat. But, you know, it was like, they're okay. They're okay coats, you know, like they're good for most people, maybe not great for me. And then my mom started saying like, Hey, you know, if you don't, if you don't love the coat, you don't have to get the coat, you know, in a few weeks, we'll go to the Alexandria, which is this other big, bigger town, you know, 45 minutes away and you can get a coat then. And it was the idea of a few weeks 
meant that I had to wait. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly I start justifying in my mind why this coat that's sitting right here in front of me is the one that I'm going to go with. Right. And then I, and I, and I don't love the coat. Like I don't even, I don't want the coat, but the, be, you know, because I grew up with this mentality of like, you just never know, you know, when you're going to get, if you're going to get, how long it's going to take, mm. you might have to choose something else, or you might have to have something got for you or, you know, picked up for you. And then you really don't get what you want. So I'm just like, I started justifying I had to, And then I started selling my mom on why this was the coat, right? Even though I hated the coat. <laughs> <laughs> and so in the effort of walking out with something that day, I ended up convincing my mom that this was the coat and I was going to wear this coat. And this is the coat that I was going to wear for the whole winter of my fifth grade year, right? The whole year of a, the whole, for six months, right? I was going to say, because winter lasts long in central Minnesota. It's going to be five, six months. You're going to wear this thing every day. And so I spent the rest of the winter, man, when I go, when I go sledding, I would bounce off of trees trying to rip this thing up. So she'd have to buy me a new one. I'd run through the prickly ash trees. So tear holes in it, you know, and, and I, I don't remember exactly. I think eventually she had to get me a different coat by the end of the winter because this thing got so destroyed. But I remember like we had a little come to Jesus meeting at one point and she's like, why didn't you just tell me you didn't like the coat? Mm. (laughs) We could have went and got you another one. Right. And I wasn't maybe old enough or mature enough to understand, right. Like the reason I, you know, convinced her about this was that, you know, I wasn't, I was willing to settle for something that I didn't want just so that I could make sure that I got something there. Mm. And, you know, I mean, you know, John, like the lesson that I take away from that has a lot to do with where, with, with what I teach today. Um, one of one of those you know key points being around intentional clarity because a lot I mean I run into a lot of my clients you know I speak and train and coach in the corporate agri agribusiness space within ag retail and, and manufacturing and and even a little bit inside and outside of that but I run into a lot of people who have settled for a life that they don't want. Mm. They're settling for business results that they don't want. They're settling for goals given to them by superiors that they don't want because, and then, and then they justify why it's okay. And, and and so they end up living lives that are less intentional than they could be, right? And when that happens, the resentfulness starts to stack. And just like I did with this coat, man, like I was, I got super clear for a minute, like I was walking out with a coat today just so I could have something, right? You know, and by the way, to make it worse, like I get, I get to school the next Monday and there's another kid in my class that I'm not a huge fan of with the same damn coat. Oh, same coat. <laughs> so it's later, it's right all on. good. Later on in life, he and I became really good friends and mm-hmm. we were captains of the football team and all that stuff together. But you know, that, that coat story for me, John, is a, is a, to this day impacts me because when, when we're making decisions, you know, between my wife and I and like, Hey, do we want to live in this house or that house? Right. It's like, no, it's this house. Like this is our minimum standard. It's this or something better. Like we get super clear on what that is. And when you solve problems that way, as opposed to just settling for what you can get, right. You really break those, those, that, that old mindset that keeps you stuck having a lot of what you don't want in life. And the goal is obvious to have, you know, obviously to have more of what we do want. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that, Mark, because it is a powerful story. And there's so much in that story that, you know, I was writing down words as I go through there, that mindset came up for me. And so, yep. you know, as kids or, you know, not knowing, again, 
three weeks from now, what's there? Like there's a scarcity mindset that exists mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. us as human beings. They're like, I don't want to wait three weeks. But then mm-hmm. there's that also we can rational, we can make things happen and rationalize really closely. You said this about creating what you want. And it's something that I've been taught as a leader growing up that leader growing up as a leader is that, you know, a, a strong leader is aware of what they want. Yeah. Okay. In terms of understanding is clear on that. You talk about clarity, you talk about intentional, so yeah. many different ways. So thank you for sharing that story. And I'm glad that it still impacts who you are today. And I'm going to guess you don't mm-hmm. have that coat still hanging in your closet and especially if you're no. 10 years no. old at the time, but it is something <laughs> that, that sticks with you as you go forward. So, but I can so, still I can still describe it. I know the colors. I can see it. I can feel what it feels like on my arms. And like I have of all my coats that I had growing up, I remember that one the most because that was the worst decision. Did you know that many of the things that I discuss on the Uncommon Leader podcast are subjects that I coach other leaders and organizations on? If you would be interested in having me discuss one-on-one or group coaching with you, or know someone who is looking to move from underperforming to uncommon in their business or life, I would love to chat with you. Click the link in the show notes to set up a free call to discuss how coaching might benefit you and your team. Now, back to the show. Yeah. And that's that's what we tend to remember as well. Again, all those different things. So you have you have made that a part, that intentionality, that intentional clarity, a yep. part of your company today that you do and you provide leadership and mindset training in a very specific market, whether we kind of go down that path on the ag side in terms of where you grow up. But tell me more about then as you coach and you see others, this is years later. Okay. This is in a space that we generally don't have as much, I'll call it need. I mean, we're a, we're a country that has what we really need. But on the one side, what are some of the other barriers that you see in leaders that keep them from being intentionally clear about what they want. You bet. So one of the key things that uh, we teach on that I see a lot in in organizations, we teach on it because we see it, see it a lot inside organizations, are leaders who are measuring the, the wrong things. Okay. Now, at the end of the day, you got to go look at the P&L, right? You got to be able to look at the balance sheet. Those those things have got to balance. Those things have got to make sense. Those things have got to be working, or otherwise you don't have a business that works, right? So those are those those are important. You got to look at your sales results. Hey, are our salespeople selling enough, or are they not? Right? Do we need to you know switch strategy, you know, change strategies there? Yes or no? We look at the final sales results. We look at the margins on those sales. We look mm-hmm. at how we're doing. We look at our engagement scores inside the organization. We look at whether people like working here, whether they don't like working here. We like we look at our attrition rates. Right? Are we losing? I mean, there's a good, healthy, you know, percentage of the population that you should probably turn over every year, maybe around ten percent. But then, you know, if that's 20, 30, 40, 50 percent, you're starting. It's probably costing you a lot more than it should. So those are all what I call lagging indicators. Okay, a lagging indicator is something that we measure after what's been done has been done and it's already happened. Fair enough. Fair enough. So. This is, you know, you see, ask where are the barriers? This is what I see with most leaders is they're only focused on the lagging. They put very, very little time and attention and intention on the leading indicators of success. Okay. So a leading indicator, something like, let's, let's, let's take sales as an example, because everybody kind of understands that. So rather than measuring, Hey, did they get the sale or not? Okay. Well, let's look at the leading end of that. Okay, a leading could a, a more leading indicator could be 
are we are we prospecting enough? Okay, are we doing enough? What are the what are the whether it's cold calling or 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 emailing or door knocking, going to trade shows, events, whatever? But there's you know, different ways to to prospect, of course. But are we doing that enough? And I could even back that up even further and say, okay, have I trained my salespeople effectively on how to do that? Have I given them a a script to use when they get somebody on the phone? And then have I trained them on that adequately? Uh, The unfortunate good answer for almost all these questions, John, and most organizations I get into is no. Mm -hmm. Sure. (laughs) Right. No, we, we give a salesperson the keys to the truck. We say, Hey, go get us some business. And that's their, that's, that's training. Go get some experience. And unfortunately that's, that's a pretty good telltale sign from a leading indicator standpoint that they're going to have problems, right? They're Mm -hmm. going to have more turnover than they need. They're going to have, you know, more more challenges, but then then they should have to. But that's what I'm starting to back it out to like the leading, leading, like what's the what are the most important things? And I boiled it down to three buckets that I encourage companies to measure. So the first one is clarity, intentional clarity. So what I say is that motivation does not exist. Okay. So as, as a motivational speaker, that's a little bit of a, a heresy statement. <laughs> but mm-hmm. we look at so we say motivation does not exist. Motivation is what I feel when I'm clear on what I'm creating. And so I need to get intentional, intentionally clear about what I am creating. And man, I, I tell you what, after working, we we've run our thriving leader program more than 125 times in the last eight years. We've coached over 10,000 hours of of employee coaching in that same time frame <clears throat> on the backside of that event the number of people in most organizations that can even really explain to me in detail how they get paid how they make money like how their compensation structure is really structured that that shows them like how they take home the bread and and butter for their families most people actually can't explain it very well wow the best salespeople can absolutely the best and I'm, and I don't just work with salespeople again I use that example because a lot of people understand it but you could take any any position within the organization if it's a uh, even if it's a salaried employee could they break down how their position makes money for the business how they connect to mm-hmm. the overall goal of the organization yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a it's a, a a phenomenal gap that we have inside of mm-hmm. inside of big yeah. organizations even small organizations absolutely absolutely yeah so, so clarity so- motivation does not mm-hmm. exist. I love that. What's the second yeah. bucket? So, so the second bucket is certainty, right? And certainty, we describe this as <clears throat> an, an intentional certainty, is knowing that I know that I know that I can follow through, that I can make this happen, that I can execute on this. And do a very simple measurement with my with with people. So if it, you know, let's say it comes to delivering, you know, some tough feedback. What's the mm. level of certainty that a manager has? to be able to lead that conversation effectively, right? If that score is too low, then we probably should do a little role play. Or we should do a little training, a little skill training, right? Mm-hmm. Go watch some YouTube videos about how to do that better. Because when what happens when you take that extra 10 minutes to go watch something on YouTube, like you come away, you're a little bit more certain going into that conversation and you lead that person better. So taking the pause and like investing a little bit of time into some mm-hmm. skill development <clears throat> and it immediately increases the certainty. Okay. But another way, and this is, we, we break this down really in depth in our training programs. Are, are you familiar with the, like the, the, the Kaizen principle? 
of uh, course, manufacturing, right? That's been my life for 25 years, the Toyota yeah. production system and lean. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so we, we, we sort of take that same concept, like the, we, we de, uh, define, I think this is pretty close to the actual definition, but it's small, seemingly insignificant, never ending improvement, mm. right? Small, seemingly insignificant, just getting a little bit better, doing things that almost nobody would notice every single day. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we actually help people break down their goals, whatever the thing is. Okay. Let's, so let's say it's, I, I, I want to be a better team, team manager, team leader. And you're at that level, kind of a mid-level manager mm-hmm. role. So what are the, what are the little tiny things that almost nobody would notice that you need to do every day to be good at the job? So actually work that, you know, you can just take a yellow notepad right now or take your notes on your phone and start breaking down. Like what are the little tiny things that almost nobody sees that you do every day that are, um, essential to making that job work. And those become our, our daily protocols, our intentional protocols that we do every day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. And, and, and so I've got a series of those that are like my sales, my daily sales protocols. And the list is kind of long, but what I've timed myself and I got it down where I can do it in about 45 minutes to an hour. Now, when I do these little, little tiny things that nobody, you know, almost nobody would notice if I didn't do them today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I do do them, my pipeline stays full. <laughs> Imagine right? that. And when I don't do them, my pipeline gets empty. Right. And then it's just stuff that almost nobody would notice. So, but what that does is it gives me certainty in my business because I have these tiny little daily protocols and I just do these things and maybe it takes me 15, 25, 30, 45 minutes, an hour, but I just, when I do these every day, I win. And so that gives me intentional certainty in in my ability, you know, to do the job well. So of course, in order to be able to pull any of that off, you have to have the third one, which is intentional capacity. So what's the physical, mental, and emotional capacity to do the job well? And this is where we're talking about things like, do you take a minute to, to you know, whatever, step out for five or 10 minutes and do a little meditation? What, what kind of nutrition are we putting into the body? Am I making some time in the morning to go move my body? My, my mantra is sweat by 630. Mm, okay. um, I'm, not, I'm not claiming that I pull that off every day, but I do know that when I do sweat by 630, I am more productive and I have a greater capacity to execute all day. Love that. Make yeah. that hashtag as well. Swept yeah. by 630. Seems like, seems like something that could work, right? Yeah. Yeah. We tell my, for my clients, I tell them, hey, sweaty selfie or it didn't happen. Because when they need accountability <laughs> to get it done, I'm like- There you go. Dude, I, John, I, I kid you not. I have a guy. This, he's not even a client anymore. I mean, he's not a, not a paying client, but he Snapchats me every morning, his sweaty selfie for four sweaty, years. Sweaty selfie. Love Every that. day for four years. So, so whatever it takes to help people get it done, but it's, so it's intentional clarity, intentional certainty, and intentional capacity. Those are the three buckets of what we call leading indicators or intentional indicators. Let's share with you a little story. I love, I love the idea of that last one in terms of that sweaty selfie. So I'm going to, yeah. I have a few guys that have an accountability because there's an accountability within that as well, that, that your former client is making, but there's five of us in the group. And if we do our reading discipline every day, we send a picture, just a text, a picture or a text, a, an emoji of a book to the group to let them know we've done our reading. And if we did our exercise, we do a hashtag of the number of calories that we burned. So they know that we worked hard and got that done. So both those things can create accountability. But even as you said, on the mental side, it can be very important. The, med- the, the meditation that goes along or the emotional and that type yeah. of thing. Uh, I, I love there's those. There's so many little things that you can do every day mm-hmm. that really lead to a life of intention. 
right? Around having intentional capacity, you know, and it's, there's the big, you know, like the macros in Mm -hmm. that arena, like working out, eating well, getting plenty of sleep. Like those are the the big macros for capacity, right? right? And there's a lot of little stuff too, as well. We actually, we have a a tool called the strength scope. It's one, it's one thing that my company distributes that we don't actually make. We just, we're a reseller for it. The reason I love it is it actually helps us identify like to some extent where some of the default mode networks are in our brain so that we can actually, and and like put the, and and give them labels. So a couple of mine, as an example, one is relationship building. So if I can do activities in my work that are related to relationship building, like that's something I want to double down on. On the flip side, detail orientation is a massive drainer. So I get energy, like the more I do relationship building, the more I am working in developing others, the more I'm being decisive, those things on my map actually give me more energy. Okay. If I have to do detail or use common sense (laughs) (laughs) um, or be overly creative, those things are draining to me. Mm. And so it's cool to be able to actually be able to see like where, so, so being, well, in short, being able to focus on my energizers gives me more energy throughout the day. Everything else I should be working to delegate or build systems, automate, use technology, whatever the case may be so that I can minimize that. So, you know, I have an assistant, she's wonderful. She handles like when I, when I set a meeting with a, with a client, it's not hard to go and put that appointment in my calendar, Mm. but I don't do it. Because that's one thing, like in, in the 60 or 90 seconds it would take me to go create that appointment in my calendar, I could do something else. So I screenshot the text conversation or the email and I text it to my assistant. That takes me five seconds. Mm-hmm. And then uh, magically it shows up on my calendar. <laughs> like today's today's appointment probably showed up like that. Absolutely. Exactly. That's how how your appointment got on here this afternoon. So I, it's very, um, there are just little things that we can optimize for that also give us more, more intentional capacity. No, I love that. I mean, I just finished up Rory Vaden's book. You and you and I have that similar connection through brand builders group and you procrastinate on purpose where he talks about that funnel uh, in terms Mm -hmm. of our priorities. And, you know, some of those things you just got to let go of, even though you could do that pretty quickly, but to let right. that go so that you can create more time somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's, it I think creates more freedom and allows absolutely. me to be more of me, which is, that's what this whole, you know, powerful intention thing is all about. Yeah. And that's what I love, Mark. And you, you started the, at the front end telling us a story about your coat but, and you said you love stories. So your mm-hmm. mission at, at your organization, Thrive Today LLC, is to help mm-hmm. people and organizations to survive less and thrive more. So share with me a story of success in your organization and how you've been able to help someone survive less and thrive more. You don't have to give away any names or anything, but uh, yeah, protect the, the I'm going to go with the one. Yeah. I'm going to go with the one that's right on the top of my mind because I just got an update from this guy today. So years ago we had this guy, Nate. Okay. He, he came to our thriving leader program back then. It was called something else. It was the early days of it. And uh, so one thing we do at this event is we start everybody off in the morning, 6am with a workout. Mm. And at the time I lived in Omaha, Nebraska, and now live in North Carolina, but we still run a lot of events in Omaha. So when we do that, we'll start off at 6am at a kickboxing studio, literally a fight gym run by a guy and I, an old Irish guy by the name of Mick Doyle. 
Okay. And so you can, your, your brain can start pulling all those sure. rocky references, you know, yep. and all that. Like, I mean, Mick, Mick is, Mick is the guy. Me, he's, got, he's got the hat. Yeah. You know, and he's not that old. I think he's like 52. <laughs> uh, but Mick taught me how to fight. And so I started taking my clients. Um, he, he taught me how to fight at a very important time in my life. So we started taking our clients to that gym and, um, it was just such an eye-opening, game-changing experience for so many of our clients. So this one guy, Nate, came to the event, all 365 pounds of him that his scale would tell him about. Okay. And that's where it maxed out. So he didn't know if it was more than that. He came to the event and at the, was about 10, 12 people at that event. At the end of it, at the end of the workout, he was laying in the he was laying in the corner of the of the wrestling room of this place, which is kind of a just imagine a room covered in mats, and all 365 pounds that was left of Nate is laying in the fetal position, panting and sweating all over this mat. And Mick, the trainer, walks over to him. I'm gonna be a little bit colorful here, just to, for mm-hmm. for effect. Sure. Okay, so Mick walks over to Nate and he looks at Nate and he says, "Nate, how are you doing?" And Nate looks up at Mick. He goes, "Mick." I'm dying. And Mick goes, nah, for the first time in your life, you're fucking living. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> and so that's where it started. That was Nate's, we call that a discovery moment in my work. Cause he was really tired of having to get a seatbelt extension every time he got on an airplane to fly somewhere. And he flew a lot for work. And so at that event, he said, I'm going to lose. He committed to himself. He got clear. So I'm going to lose two pounds a week for a year. And he was in my programs for the next four years. He sent his employees through our programs. His boss, his CEO ended up coming through it at another point. Today, that organization is thriving. They just built a new headquarters. And Nate showed up at another event a year later from that event, just, just over a year, weighing in at 245. Wow. So update to that story. He's kind of rotated out. I mean, you know, clients rotate out after four or five years, pretty natural. He, he, he just texted me this afternoon before and after. So he kind of fell off the bandwagon, which is pretty common, right? We, mm-hmm, we sure. make progress and then we don't. So he had a lot of progress for a long time. Then he kind of got, got a little bit lazy and he decided this year to get back into it. And you just sent me a text message to thank him for giving him these mindset tools uh, he said, I just got sick of being lazy again. And he got back after he sent me his before and after picture. He's back down to that 245 and uh, crushing it. So, <clears throat> so uh, awesome. super, super proud of him and super happy. But what I love about that story is not just, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not a fitness trainer or a nutritionist or anything like that. We're just, we're a mindset coaching company, helping people survive less and thrive more. So Nate put that to work with the the family, like his family is thriving. His, uh, their, her wife was, or his, excuse me, his wife was able to actually get full custody of all three of her kids from her previous relationship. And so he's now dad of four. They had a child together as well. Their business is thriving. Like I said, they just built a new corporate headquarters. I mean, he's in this role in a, in a, in a VP role in that industry. It's, I would say most commonly, I see people in there for about three, four years, and then they're either moving on or they're gone. He's been in there now seven years. They're and they're just crushing it all the way around. So that's where we start to see these. You 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 implement intentional clarity, intentional intentional certainty, and intentional capacity into somebody who's put here to do something more, and you're they're going to start to set the world on fire. Yeah, absolutely. And again, when you start talking about lead and lag indicators, if somebody personally is more healthy to run their business. Exactly. They're going to likely be more successful at running their business as well. Mark, I exactly. appreciate you sharing that story. 
And when I talk about that in my coaching model at Growing Champions, you know, I refer to that as the, the greatest story ever told. And not just mm-hmm. the weight loss story, but the greatest story ever told is as a leader like you are, Mark, having an impact, a positive impact on people's life, is that years down the road, somebody's going to ask him in a in a setting, you know, write, write the name of five people who have had a positive impact on your life. Mm-hmm. And Mark, your name's going to end up being on that list. And when some people write your name on their list as a positive impact, to me, that's the greatest story ever told. So congratulations on that. And certainly yeah, thank to him you. for having that success in his business. So Mark, yeah. I want to honor your time. I've had a great, I have had a great time with this conversation, understanding that the methodology that you use, how mm-hmm. can the listeners of the Uncommon Leader podcast stay in touch with you and learn more, learn more about you? I I would love it if you can come over and and hang out on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, literally just you know look up my name Mark Jewell on LinkedIn or I think it's the, you know LinkedIn.com/in/thrive today is okay. the the easiest way to to come and find us. That's where all our best content goes out and we actually we we have a, a newsletter out there and it's called Intentional Agribusiness Leaders because again most of our business is in that space and I'll promise that all that content is fully relevant in every industry. Sure. Uh, that just happens to be the niche that we focus the most on. So, you know, just today we put out uh, some comments on time management that we applied to that industry, but are fully, fully relevant. So every Thursday we have a new newsletter going out. We're about over just to, just about to touch a thousand subscribers on that. So come and come and jump on that one. That's honestly, I mean, yes, Instagram, yes, Facebook, all that stuff. Our website is thrivetoday.io, but in, in LinkedIn is where it's going down these okay. days. So I'll put the link to your link. The link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes Perfect. and make yeah. sure folks stay in touch with you. All right, Mark, again, so I'm going to give you the last question as I give all the first time guests, but I'm going to give you a billboard and you can put any message you want to on that billboard so that millions of people are going to see it. What message do you put on that billboard and why? Can I, can I frame this up with a story? Because at the beginning, sure. I promised two, but we only gave yes. one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to make good on the promise, right? Okay. So... <clears throat> Um, when I was nine, it was November 10th, 19, uh, 1990. I was nine years old. I was outside throwing wood into our basement because we burned wood for heat back then. Um, in fact, my entire upbringing, we burned wood for heat out in the country. Um, <clears throat> my dad was out hunting. My mom was in the bedroom sleeping because she worked overnight at the nursing home the night before. Uh, the phone rings and it's my job to sort of take messages and and then mom can follow up later with whoever called, right? So that way she could keep sleeping. So I go in and I answer the phone. And uh, it was Mike, who is a guy who lives down the road on a ranch, just a, just a little ways down the road from us. Also a guy who had been hunting with my dad that morning. And he said, Mark, I need to talk to your mom. And I said, Mike, she's wor- uh, she's sleeping. She worked last night at the, at the nursing home. Uh, I'll take a message. And, and I can hear in the background like this like a heart rate monitor, like the beep, beep, beep. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, he's and he got real stern with me. He said, Mark, I need to talk to your mom now. So <clears throat> Mike uh, gets what he wants in this case. So I run in, I grab my mom. She comes out. She's mad. She's stumbling around. Like I just woke her up from her slumber. But I watch her body language as she takes Mike's message. And uh, you can just see the blood drain from her face. She hangs up the phone. She said, Mark, change your shoes, get in the car. We're going to town. Your dad has been shot. Mm. Um, So him and Mike had been out hunting with a few other guys. Something went wrong. 
and uh, we're suddenly racing to town. And uh, I don't know if you, I know, I know you remember John and, you know, back in the, in the eighties and nineties, we didn't, or early nineties, we didn't pay as much attention to kids as we do now. So we get to the emergency room, we pull in there a little 1984 hatchback Ford Escort. Mom jumps out, all the guys that were in the hunting party, the sheriff is there, the DNR is there, everybody swarms her. Um, I just sort of wander off because nobody's paying attention to me. (laughs) And uh, I don't really know where to go, but I walk in the building and then I walk past some double doors on the right side and I look in there and here's my dad laying on the table in the emergency room while the nurses are cutting his clothes off. And his shirt was already off and I could see in the right on his right side that was facing me like a big hole, like the size of my fist. It had been blown out the right side. He took a 12 gauge slug on the left side of his chest, just underneath of his heart. And it went across his body, exited on the right side. And so he was laying there talking with the nurses encouraging them, yelling at them not to cut his boots off because we don't waste in our family. Mm. <laughs> um, but I, I just stood there and I watched like blood literally just dripping on the floor of that ER. I, I lose, you know, my memory no longer remembers how long, how much time, you know, went by, but suddenly they're, they're getting him, he's ready and they're about to take him to the operating room. The doctor had, um, I think they had to fly in a doctor. She had to come in from somewhere to do the surgery. And, um, on the, as they start to wheel him past me out of the ER into the OR, he stops the nurses. Like he has the presence of mind somehow the man's bleeding out and he's dying. He has the presence of mind in that moment to stop them at the door. And he takes his oxygen mask off with his left hand and he reaches out with his right hand and he grabs my hand, my right hand. He looks at me in the eye and he says, you take care of things. And they wheeled him off. And, um, you know, in that moment, nine years old, you know, I probably don't grasp the gravity of the situation and what's really potentially about to happen. But I'll tell you this, that moment right there, that defined to me, to this day, that moment defines intention. Mm. It defines intention to me. And I've got a little boy of my own now. He's seven, not quite nine. Right. But I look at like, you know, my, my comment, my constant question is always like, am I being intentional enough with myself in my own clarity, my own certainty, my own capacity? So that like, if I was in that moment, would I be as brave and as bold and have the balls that my dad had? to be able to do the right thing, to be able to say what needed to be said, to, to give that, that message to him. Like, you know, you take care of things. Mm. Right. And so, um, cool news is, you know, uh, uh, he made it, he made it through the surgery. Uh, we had him around for another 25 years after that. And, And at the end, right at the end of his life, I was there when he passed away, I was able to say, Hey dad, it's okay. You know, he was struggling. He'd been suffering for a couple of years and I said, Hey, it's okay. I'm ready. I'm now ready to take care of things. And mm. and uh, we let him go. So um, that there probably has been the, you know, one, <laughs> you know, the most impactful on my life as far as memorable moments and, you know, impactful things. And it certainly has defined what, what real intent, what powerful intention looks like. Right. And what I, what I've discovered in my own, you know, journey throughout the years is that 
all the times in life when my resentment stacks, like when I start to get the most resentful, is always because of the times that I've been the least intentional. Mm. And that's your billboard answer. Anytime that I'm the most resentful is always, always, always because I've been the least intentional. And so if the goal is to avoid resentment or to solve for it, then the the easy solution, not the easy solution, but the simple answer is that I have to be more intentional. Mark, thank you. You got it, brother. Thanks for letting me share that. I appreciate it. I'm glad you did. You know, sometimes when it's an audible podcast, it's one of those that you don't see some of the you know, intention that you had in sharing that story. It had to take a lot to share that story, so I do appreciate you sharing it you with bet. the listeners. And sometimes some of that quiet is okay on an audible podcast too. But yeah, I know that the listeners will take that away to be more intentional you uh, betcha. as they move forward. So thank you again for being a guest yeah. on the Uncommon Leader Podcast. I appreciate you investing the time with us and I wish you the best. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Well, that's all for today's episode of the Uncommon Leader Podcast. Thanks for listening in. Please take just a minute to share this podcast with that someone you know that you thought of when you heard this episode. One of the most valuable things you can do is to rate the podcast and leave a review. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, or you can rate the podcast on Spotify or any other platform you listen. Until next time, go and grow champions.